You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part two of a series in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter two, verse one. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonour the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all round. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe, and he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the tent of the daughter of Zion he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds, and he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place, and the Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamour in the house of the Lord, as on the day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine, as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea, who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss. They gnash their teeth. They cry, we have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we have it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. 
He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion. Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see with whom have you dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb? the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. We'll pause our reading at the end of Lamentations chapter 2. Now, as I said in the first episode in this series, each of the five chapters of Lamentations is a distinct poem or song, whether they were written by the same author or by different authors and then compiled together. We don't know. Traditionally, they're attributed to Jeremiah, and certainly they were written at the time when Jeremiah was alive, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. The poem in chapter 1 uh, what began with a focus on the city, the empty, destroyed city, but this poem in chapter 2 begins with a focus on the Lord. And as we saw in chapter 1, and as I said in introducing the book, there is a consistent message throughout this uh, little book of Lamentations of both sorrow at the situation that Jerusalem is in, a recognition of its destruction, a seeming hopelessness, a distress and a deep sorrow that is expressed to God. But at the same time, there is a clear recognition of responsibility. The the book is very clear that it was the Lord who has brought this about, who has done this to Jerusalem. Yes, he used the enemies of the nation, those hostile nations. In, In the case of the city of Jerusalem, it was the Babylonians in the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the city and the temple and exiled the people and brought an end to the independent uh, kingdom of Judah, although it had been teetering along for uh, quite a few years before that uh, as really little more than a city, a walled city of Jerusalem. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had invaded previously and had already taken some people into exile and, and so on. But in 586, the final destruction of the city, and that's the backdrop to this poem, But right from verse one, it says the Lord in his anger has done this. Verse two, the Lord has swallowed up without mercy. Verse three, he cut down. Verse four, he has bent. Verse five, the Lord has become like an enemy. Verse six, he has laid waste. Verse seven, the Lord has scorned. Verse eight, the Lord determined. And then only in verse nine, the focus is more on the city in its condition. Uh, And then uh, again, turning to the Lord as the cause of this in verse 17. 
So very clearly recognizing that God has brought around the destruction of Jerusalem. And he has done that as he promised, as he said he would long ago. The poem says, of course, right from the time of Moses, when God was giving the people the land, Deuteronomy makes very clear that God said to them that if they were disobedient to him, if they did not keep his covenant, then the land would vomit them out. It would spit them out in the same way that it was going to spit out the Canaanites who would be driven out before the people of Israel under the leadership of Joshua. So God was always clear with this, that their living, the, the length of their duration in the land was dependent on their faithfulness to his covenant. Even within the Ten Commandments, they were to honour their father and mother, that their days may be long in the land that God was giving them. And so it's very clear, both right at the beginning in Deuteronomy and, and in the, the commandments uh, and through the words of the prophets over the generations, not least Jeremiah himself, that the exile was a result of God's judgment because the people had abandoned him. How did they do that? Well, they engaged in idolatry. They worshipped false gods, the gods of the Canaanites. And they also neglected the law of God and, and, and practice social injustice. They were unfair to the oppressed and the marginalised. And of course, uh, their religious worship, although they continued sacrifices to God, was hypocritical. So these three things, idolatry and injustice and, uh, and, and religious hypocrisy, are the core reasons for God's judgment. They're not specified in this chapter, but they are clear in books like Jeremiah. But what this chapter does do is to uh, put a particular focus on two groups of people, the weaker members of the population. You, you read about the women and particularly the nursing women. There's a suggestion even of cannibalism that they might have been driven to, but certainly of the distress of watching their children die without food. Uh, this, this lament is particularly concerned at that site. And it's true, isn't it, that uh, when things go wrong for a nation, the, the weakest suffer most. At least that tends to be what happens because uh, those who are stronger are driven to self-preservation. But there's also a lot in this chapter about the consequences for the leaders of the people. The elders are mentioned, those who were the older men within the community who gave leadership to it in its affairs. The priests and the king are mentioned too, those anointed people, servants of God, leaders of God's people. They have suffered. And of course, the prophets are mentioned, although uh, in two senses, in verse 9, her prophets find no vision from the Lord. And then later on in verse 14, your prophets have seen false and deceptive visions. Again, in the book of Jeremiah, you see that alongside his faithful service of God, passing on the words God revealed to him, there were false prophets in uh, Judah at that time. And they proclaimed peace. Uh, they, they, they had that message that people wanted to hear. So in this chapter, we have false prophets, prophets who are not hearing from God. We have a defeated priesthood and king. We have marginalized poor people who are suffering. Even the personification of the city or of the nation as the daughter of Jerusalem, the virgin daughter of Zion, gives us a sense of vulnerability at the hands of those who were her enemies. So it's a, a tragic picture. It's a picture really without 
hope, although it does cry out to the Lord to see in verse 20, to recognise the situation and uh, the priest and prophet killed off in the sanctuary of God, the women eating the fruit of their womb. God has summoned verse 22 as if to a festival day and in chapter 1 we saw that nobody came to the festival and here in chapter 2 we we see the destruction of Jerusalem pictured as being like one of those festivals. The actual festivals have been forgotten verse 6 but it's as if God summoned people to celebrate in that city as if it was one of the festivals. Those great uh, festivals, pilgrim festivals of the Jewish year, uh, the Passover and so on when people came to that city with rejoicing and celebration but the noise and cacophony that was happening in the city was no longer celebration of God but the triumph of the enemies of God's people and the slaughter that they brought. Let's read on then into Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? 
Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us filth and rubbish among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees my eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called to you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold their sitting and their rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Ending our reading there at the end of Lamentations chapter 3. Now, so far in this book, we've seen at the end of Lamentations chapter 1, the hope of the writer that God would um, judge the enemies of Israel who had destroyed the city, but also the recognition that this judgment had come from God. And then in chapter 2, we saw uh, this cry to the Lord to see what was going on, to look on the city and the call for God's people to pour out their hearts, verse 19 of chapter 2, before the presence of the Lord and to lift their hands to him. And it seems that chapter 3 progresses from those thoughts. So there is still great sorrow in this chapter, although it's voiced as being from a man rather than from a woman. So in chapters one and two, Jerusalem is presented as a woman and the voice of the songs is a woman's voice. But here it's clearly a man's voice, but still the man who is personifying the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Uh, whether he's an individual expressing his feelings and uh, and and saying that that's the the general feeling of the people of Judah, or whether he is uh, imagining that the city speaking with this voice, it's a very sorrowful picture. It's a picture of great loss of of the sense of the body falling apart. Verse four of the sense of being besieged and in great bitterness, of being cast into great darkness. There is no light. So it's a painful and a distressing situation. But of course, this chapter also ends with great confidence in the fact that God will repay those who have destroyed Jerusalem, that God has heard, has seen. You have seen the wrong. You have seen the vengeance. 
verses 59 and 60. You have heard their taunts and God will repay them, verse 64, will give them dullness, will curse them, will pursue and destroy them, verse 66. So here is the person who has moved beyond simply uh, hoping that God might reverse things to confidence in the fact that God will do that in his time because this person has called out to God. But of course, the highlight of this passage, the verses that undoubtedly, as you heard me read, uh, if you're familiar with any verses in, in Lamentations, these are the verses you would be familiar with that talk about God's faithfulness and his steadfast love. Verses 22 um, to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, there's always a danger when we read the Bible and especially the Old Testament that we do a bit of what I call diamond mining. We break it all up and we find the one or two verses that shine for us and we take them out and, and enjoy those like diamonds. Uh, that's not always a good thing, partly because, as someone has said, if you want to appreciate the beauty of a diamond, you put it on a black background. And this diamond of Jeremiah of Lamentations rather 3 verses 22 and 23 is certainly set against a black backdrop of the lament of this chapter. But it's not simply that. It's because uh, the, the word of God is so much greater than just those few verses that seem particularly attractive to us. And the remarkable thing about these words is that they are spoken by someone who at that point in time is not experiencing, is not feeling the goodness of God. This is an expression of faith of confidence that God's steadfast love, his covenant love to Israel, has not ceased, will not cease, despite what it feels like and what it looks like. That God's mercy will never end, that there is a new mercy from God every day, that God is faithful. These are words spoken not from the happy place. This person says they've forgotten what happiness even is. No, this is spoken from the place of sorrow of loss. Isn't it a wonderful thing to think that we too, in our times of sorrow and loss, might be able to confess and express those truths that you've probably sung in choruses and hymns. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. These are familiar words from songs of praise, but we must be able to sing those songs, say these words, even in the midst of our lament. Perhaps if we were better at bringing our lament to God in the first place, that would make it easier for us to do that. But sometimes we come to a church service and we're expected to sing words of joy and expressions and declarations of great truths like this without first being able to express our sorrow. Maybe we need to be better at that in how we structure our worship and how we lead people in worship, even in the words of the songs we sing. But let us not lose this glorious declaration. The Lord, verse 24 continues, is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's even good, the writer says, for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, to experience suffering when he's still young. And I think that, of course, is a word that speaks clearly to our culture today because we live such long lifespans generally and we expect to be healthy for most of those. 
and young people often don't experience pain and affliction, then it that they they come to think that that's what life should always be like. So when pain comes later on in life, they don't know how to cope with it, and they find. Uh, then they begin to wonder, where is the Lord in the midst of it? But the writer says it's better to have a yoke when you're young and so to learn to wait and to be patient and to trust. And that's the call of this chapter, that I can declare that there is still mercy from God today. There is faithfulness from God today. He will not forget or abandon us. He has promised as much. So let's trust in him because great is his faithfulness and his mercies are new every morning.